Hey there, everybody. So happy to join together for our Masterful Living class. I'm in Salisbury, and I know some of you participated in the year two class that just ended a little while ago. I'm in Salisbury, just having completed the spiritual counseling training intensive here in the UK, which was lovely. And uh, really, really grateful to have had some time with some of our Masterful Living family, uh, folks from many different years. We had Lars come from Germany and Ron come from Atlanta and Kate came from London and uh, Kate's in the year one class and then Alison Ponsetti and who was in Masterful Living for three years, and then uh, Moira, who's in Ascension Pathway. So uh, we've just had a really wonderful, smashing good time together. And now I get to be with you. Yay! <laughs> so I'm grateful and thankful, and we're joining together for the higher holy purpose of remembering our true identity. So let us pray. We pray to remember the truth. We pray to live in the truth. Yes. So grateful, so thankful to consciously surrender all sense of separation, all sense of lack and limitation, and to open our hearts and minds to our very being as an instrument of divine love. We are grateful and thankful to consciously accept our healing now. We are grateful and thankful to allow ourselves to relax into the power and the presence of love. We are grateful and thankful to allow ourselves to awaken from the dream of separation we are consciously choosing to see and know and feel clearly the truth that sets us free. We are grateful and thankful to be a loving, healing, nourishing presence to ourselves and to everyone else. We are grateful and thankful that our very nature is pure, it's perfect, it's whole. We're grateful and thankful to surrender any belief in lack and limitation that's been driving any of our choices. We're consciously choosing to be washed clean of all beliefs or willing to stand in the truth, the truth of divine love as our very life. In gratitude, we share the benefits with everyone. In gratitude, we allow it to be. In gratitude, we know it's done. In gratitude, we rest. Amen, amen, amen. Mm -hmm. Very, very good to be together. So I'm going to take everyone interactive so we can all say hello and uh, hear each other's voices. So get ready to go interactive, better interactive than radioactive. <laughs> Here we go. 
All right, and I'm going to invite the folks on the West Coast to say hello first. Hello, it's Carla. Hey, Carla. Hi, Julie's here. Hey, Julie. Folks on the East Coast. Hello, it's Lawrence. Hi, Lawrence. Hello, it's Philip. I'm driving Sabulous. Okay. Hi, Philip. And then in the middle. In Mississippi. Hey, it's Lana. <laughs> hey, Lana. <laughs> Hi. Kind of in the middle. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Good to hear everyone's voices. Yes. So before I dive into going back to where we were, special principles of the miracle workers, I would like to talk about uh, what I shared about in the radio show this week. It's just, boy, it's just really been reverberating with me. And so uh, I was talking about uh, the um, about sin. There is no sin. And are we willing to simply accept that sin is an illusion? That it's just not real, no matter how real it feels. It's still not real. And the only reason that we feel plagued by it is because we have such a strong belief in it. And would we just let that go? And um, specifically in the radio show, I was talking about in Chapter 25, Section 9, the justice of heaven. And um, looking at this whole idea of of being a sinner and believing in sin and being able to accept divine justice is very much like it says at the end of chapter 5 in the prayer that says I must have chosen wrongly because I'm not at peace and then a little bit later it says, I can give all the consequences of my wrong decision to the Holy Spirit. And that all those consequences will be brought to divine justice, to healing, to light. And I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to wonder about it. I don't have to worry about it. I can allow it to happen. And so I don't have to feel guilty. And we study this and study this and study this. What does it take for us to be willing to believe it and to really and truly release all belief in lack, limitation, sin? What does it take for us as individuals? What does it take for me, Jennifer? What does it take for each member of this class to be able to allow the justice of heaven? It says, 
right at the beginning of that chapter in the text 25, section 9, it says, what can it be but arrogance to think your little errors cannot be undone by heaven's justice? And what could this mean except that they are sins and not mistakes, forever uncorrectable and to be met with vengeance, not with justice? Are you willing to be released from all effects of sin? You cannot answer this until you see all that the answer must entail. For if you answer yes, it means you will forego all values of this world in favor of the peace of heaven. Not one sin would you retain, and not one doubt that this is possible will you hold dear that sin be kept in place. You mean that truth has greater value now than all illusions, and you recognize that truth must be revealed to you because you know not what it is. So are we willing to forgo all values of our life, all values, everything that we value, in favor of the peace of heaven. Would we trade all that we have for eternal peace? And so asking that question for for realsies, as they say, asking that question, would you trade everything that you think you value, everything that you think you need, everything that you think you have for the peace of God? Now, what what comes up? What What gets triggered inside of you at the thought of that? This is Lana. I guess, would you have to give up your family? Right. Would would you have to give up your family, or would you have to give up valuing your family more than the peace of God? Fly home. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I must buy the money because I'm upset to me when I don't have it. So that, yeah. So say that again. Well, it must be the money too. Money comes to me because I seem to be um, getting disturbed whenever uh, it changes or when I don't have it or whatever. So I must be valuing that above the peace of God, too. Mm-hmm. So would you be willing to give it up in exchange for the peace of God? You're you're cutting it out there, but I think you said, "Am I willing to give that up in exchange for the peace of God?" Yes. 
Well, I like to say yes, but I guess I mean at this moment is all there is, right? Mhm. Yes. I mean, I doubt my when I say that I hear me saying hear that whatever the ego or whatever the thoughts that they aren't mine. I don't own them anymore, and um, they come into my head that says you say that now. But I mean, I don't know. I just know that in between the last call and this call, I just mm-hmm. it came to me that I was wanting to make money off of this the spiritual counseling and mm-hmm. the in um, the cards that I've been making, and mm-hmm. I'm like in this moment. You know, I'm just, from what you said in the last class, I'm just going to do it because whatever I do, I'm just doing it from the joy of doing it, of the joy of of, of whatever I'm doing and giving if it can be helpful, right? And I'm just not going to worry about the money. I mean, I, I, so... I, in this moment, I seem to be able to. I feel myself tearing up. I'm not sure why I must be sad about something, but um, I think in this moment, yeah. Yeah. So, is there anything wrong with having a desire to make money from the spiritual counseling? Well, that's it's it's no, it's not anything wrong with because I mean it came to me when you said about sin is anything I think anytime I'm doing I think I'm doing anything wrong then that's just believing them sinning right anytime I'm upset at myself for what I do every time it's because I'm thinking I'm sinning or doing something wrong so. No, but the thing is, I decided that if if that comes from it, great, I will enjoy that. But that's not going to be my my. No, I don't know that's my primary purpose, but it's not going to be at the head of the pack, you know, anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be my reason for doing it, you know. Not that I think that really is my only reason, but it's been one of the forefront reasons because I'm I'm so interested in well, I'm gonna let that go too. I'm gonna let that go. So, is there anything wrong with making money from spiritual counseling? 
No. I think what I'm interested in is um, if that's a, if that's a a part that comes from it, that's beautiful, wonderful, and such a gift. Um, I'm wanting clients, but I'm like, I'm realizing that what's interesting me most is the healing involved, the healing mm-hmm. for me and the healing for everyone, because we're one, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all the same. So that's that's the front. That's what you know. That's what's if there's a hierarchy, I don't know that there is, but that's my focus. That's mm-hmm. why I'm interested in being my focus. And there's a difference between having a desire to earn a living as a spiritual counselor and seeing your clients as the source of your income. Those are different things. I can say for me, because this has been my path, I had a desire to earn a living as a spiritual counselor, as a minister, as a teacher. And now I I still have that desire to earn my living that way. And I also am completely open to money flowing in to support all my needs in any way. However, no matter how the money is coming in to pay the expenses for my personal life, I still, I I would desire to teach even if there was no money coming in at all. And in fact, I used to teach and do counseling even though I really wasn't making much money from it at all. But I was gaining experience and gaining healing, just like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And going back to my original question is, are you mm-hmm. willing to, are we willing to trade money concerns and figuring out how to support our lives financially for the peace of God. Are we willing to give that up in exchange for the peace of God? That seems like a moment-by-moment choice. Right, it's depending on what what seems to come at us in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. We get to choose that again. You know, I'm really glad you said that because let's look at that. I think that's really valuable for all of us. So, if I decide not to quit smoking, is the moment by moment choice?
for me to, to not smoke anymore? If I decide to quit smoking, is it a moment-by-moment -moment choice? Anyone can jump in here. Yes, every time you have a craving, you make the choice to not smoke. Okay, so I quit smoking. I don't remember when it was, maybe 10 years ago, the last time I quit smoking. I don't think about, I don't consider smoking at all anymore. It's been a long time since, I can't remember the last time I thought about smoking. And I don't think I had many cravings after I quit smoking. I, I don't remember having a lot of cravings after I quit smoking. So is it still a moment-by-moment -moment choice? Uh, not once the habit's established, I guess. So just so looking no. at this and... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Julie, just in terms of looking at this from the point of view of a decision, if we've made the decision... Is it still a moment-by-moment -moment choice? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I still, I'm thinking of a craving or a, of a, you know, self-medication mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. a food or sweets or anything, and I think that you can make the decision to not eat that or not drink that and mm -hmm. you know it may come up and then you make that decision or you make the decision to support the decision I guess maybe is <laughs> more like it because I do mm -hmm. think that that's a it's still a process until the habit's gone mm -hmm. like even so here's money mm -hmm. sorry go ahead well I was going to say let's say you decide to enroll in college. You enroll, you're enrolled. You could drop out at any minute. You decide to enroll in college because you want to get a particular degree. You'd like to get a particular degree. And so you're enrolled in the program. You've made the decision to enroll. You could say that it's a moment-by-moment -moment choice to follow through. Yes. And... In my experience, when I've decided something, I've decided it, and that's done. The choice has been made. Now, I could change my mind and make a different decision or what seems like a contrary or opposing decision. That's another decision. I, I, I know this could seem like semantics to some, but making the decision to me is often very helpful. Well, I already decided that when I go to my uncle's house, I'm going to be as loving as I can be. I've decided that. I've already made my choice. So moment by moment, 
I can notice if I feel conflict. If I feel conflict, it's really because I didn't actually decide. It was more like a wish, more like a hope. For me, it's helpful to look at things that way. Can you know in the moment which it is, whether you really decided or whether it's a wish? Yeah, exactly. So it's a good question, Philip. So um, if you have decided that you're going to be loving in your workplace, And in the moment, you decide, you know what, right now I'd rather be on. It's a different, it's a, a new decision. You've made a, a overriding decision. Or it could be that you had no, you didn't really make a decision before. You were just setting a goal, setting an intention. But you hadn't really made the decision, that's what I'm going to You know, it's like saying, I'm going to go to the grocery store and get some fruit and vegetables. And then you're on your way to the grocery store and you see a friend who says, let's go for coffee, you go for coffee, and then by the time you're done, the grocery store is closed. What happened to your decision to go to the grocery store? It was really just an intention. Because if you really decided to go to the grocery store, your friend would say, come for coffee, and you would probably say, I need to go to the grocery store first. I'll meet you a bit later, or I can't do that right now. For me, it's helpful to think about decisions in this way. Because why is it helpful? Yeah, how is it helpful to you to look at it this way, that way? Yeah, no, I'm really glad you asked that. So it's helpful to me because I can invoke the power of my decision, and so so I can say I've decided I'm going to be loving at my family gathering, no matter what. And then if I make that decision that I'm going to be loving at my family gathering no matter what, I've decided that, that's what I'm doing, that's what I will do, that's what I do, and then later, that's what I did. But if it's an intention, there's nothing wrong with an intention, but with an intention, I could say, well, I had the intention, but then my sister did this or did that and I got provoked and I got uh, my buttons pushed and I just reacted. So then I was like, well, my intention wasn't that strong. And for me, I would say, well, I really didn't make the decision that's what I was doing. I didn't have a commitment to it. 
So for me, a decision is really saying I have a commitment to my intention. And it's also looking at it in terms of do I have, we could say, is my commitment strong or weak? However, is it really you either have a commitment or you don't have a commitment? Well, what about willingness statements? Yeah, so willingness shows there's willingness, but it's not commitment. I mean, just think about it in, in some other kinds of ways. Like, for instance, if a friend, if you say to a friend, Will you, would you like to go to the movies with me? I'm willing to go to the movies with you. Yeah, I'm willing to go to the movies with you. Do you feel like there's, like they're definitely going to go to the movies with you? No, not at that time. Yeah, exactly. So then you might say, well, I'm wondering, are you willing to commit to going to the movies with me? Well, I'm willing to go, but I'm not willing to commit to it. No, I haven't decided that I'm going to do that. No. But I, I, I intend to go. I intend to go. But you know how life is. Other things might interfere. So I can't say I will be there. But I have intention to go. I'd like to go. I'm willing to go. You'd probably feel eh, they might not come. I wouldn't bet the house on it. So just thinking about it in terms of our own use of language. So it's what what Jesus is asking us here is are you willing to forego all values of this world in favor of the peace of heaven. If so, not one sin would you retain, and not one doubt will you hold dear that sin be kept in place. Okay, um, this I was going to bring this up anyway. Um, mm -hmm. There was a, I shared it in Facebook. I know Julie saw it. Um, Steve Harvey did a little thingy. I saw it on Facebook after, uh, basically he says, you know, if you want to live your life fully, it was have, you have to jump off the cliff. <laughs> uh -huh. I was thinking, I was thinking, hmm, there may be some truth to this because I'm not, a, I'm not a cliff jumper in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it seems like truth requires uh, faith, almost blind faith in the beginning. Is this not asking for 100% faith before you have the experience of peace? Exactly. 
Exactly. That's it. That's it. That's the challenge of it right there. Thank you, Philip. Because well, why is it set up like that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder. My ego. I guess one reason is because we're in the ego thought system, so we can't know it without being willing to have faith in something else. Maybe that's right. That's right. It's the thing of you have to let go of the thing that is blocking your vision in order to see. So the values of this world are blocking our ability to experience peace. How can we experience the peace of heaven if we're holding on to the things that block it? And the whole thing is we don't trust. It's So think about a couple of things. In, in the Bible, think of the rich young man who went to Jesus, right? He got so inspired. Said to Jesus, I'd love to come with you. And Jesus said, great, give all your things to the poor. Come along. Love to have you. Was the young man feel like, uh, 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 why is that really necessary? Wait a minute, these things have value. And Jesus is just like, let them go. Come along. Don't let them go. Don't come along. It's up to you. We're going. And similarly, the prodigal son, he decides that he could have a better life being a servant in his father's house than living the life that he has chosen. And it's not until he recognizes, I could have a better life if I went home and was a servant. Even a servant has a better life than I have. So he goes home. Does, when the prodigal son starts out for home, does he know what to expect when he gets there? What's the sense of what the prodigal son is anticipating when he gets there? Better than he has now. Right. Uh, what kind of a, a welcome or a, a, what kind of a response is he thinking he might get, do you think? I mean, we don't mm. know. I don't remember right. that Jesus outlines that. But let's, you know, we put ourselves in the prodigal son's shoes because basically we are the prodigal son. That he may be turned away? Yeah, might be turned away, might be, you know, rejected, might say, no, forget it, you squandered everything, we already gave it to you, we're done with you, we don't love you, we've had it with you. You left us, now go feel guilty and ashamed and be an outcast. Do 
just think how we often respond when somebody say, you know, like imagine how you would feel if you gave uh, your uh, your inheritance or part of your uh, estate to your child or you gave a great gift to a friend and they took it off and they they pawned it and spent the money with high living. Would you welcome them back with a party? See, and that's the whole thing that Jesus is teaching us is your father in heaven is not like that. Your Father in Heaven will rejoice that you decided to come home. So the thing is, I, uh, my sense of it is, just my own personal experience of living this teaching is, can I trust that if I give up everything of this world, that I will actually have the peace of God? Or is it just a trick? Will I then not have anything and be left out in the cold? Now I've got nothing. If I give up everything I value for the peace of God, will I really get the peace of God? How do I know? What if it's a bait and switch? Julie, were you going to share something? Oh, I was just going to say bingo. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, if you if we give give up everything of value and just then life nothing has value and then there's no happiness and no peace. There's nothing. Um, that's a big fear, certainly. Indeed. Yeah. So instead of having trust and faith, we cling to the values of this world, trying to find a substitute for peace. And part of what what Jesus is teaching us here is part of why we don't have faith and trust is because, or Entirely, it's because we believe we're unworthy. That our sins stick to us. So this is why I say the light of God cannot be in any way made impure. Just like any light the waves of light cannot be made impure. You can block them. You can diffuse them. You can filter them. You can try to color them. But the thing is, is the light is the light is the light. And you can't make anything adhere to the light. And that's what we are. We're light. We're the purity of light. 
now and forever. And one of the things that we were talking about this week in the spiritual counseling intensive is how strong a pattern it is in the human mind that we would adopt a label. You know, we we look for labels, all kinds of labels. And do we ever feel like we can be lifting the labels? Think of the 12-step programs, which I'm not criticizing them, but one of the things about them is if you say, I'm an addict, then you're the... The idea is that you are always an addict. You wear the label forever. And that wearing the label forever is part of your healing. But imagine if if that were true for other kinds of challenges. So let's say you were a thief. At a particular moment in time, you were a thief. You stole something. Would you have to wear that label forever? Are you always a thief because you once stole? If so, then I'm a thief because I've definitely stolen things. I think isn't it is the big thing is there no attachment to that so you could say yeah I I've done that or I but it's like no like even um, in your beginning of the healing you say I'm an addict but then as you heal you maybe you don't identify with it and you I don't know it's not clear to me but um this if we're all one right if we're all one then it's some something something i have i'm not clear to me on this so i know so we're look- all innocent right go ahead So looking at this in terms of labels and belief in sin and relief from, or release from rather, the belief in sin. Looking at the labels that we wear and do we think they're permanent? So if someone lied one time, are they now forever a liar? If someone stole one time, are they now forever a thief? If someone was an adulterer one time, are they now an adulterer forever? Right? We've got plays about these things and movies about these things, because, books about these things because 
these are core issues for us in healing the ego attachments. And where do we say, yes, they wear that label forever, or gosh, I don't know, addict forever? Once they've healed the addiction, are they an addict forever? Well, what about this person? They murdered someone. Are they a murderer forever? Well, definitely, they're a murderer forever because they did that, and it's permanent. Well, I I was a thief, but now am I a thief forever? I only stole a piece of gum when I was seven years old. So am I a thief forever? Do I have to wear that on my resume of sins forever? I stole paper clips from the office. Am I a thief forever? You know what? You never were. You never were, right? Isn't that isn't that the case? Is because 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 this is one of my cards. I am innocent, not because of anything I have done, but because that is how God created me. So. You just thought. Isn't isn't it just uh, our thinking, right? Our attachments to our thinking, our beliefs. So if we think when we stole gum at seven that we're a thief, right, then um, that doesn't mean we're not innocent, right? It never changes. That never changes, right? It's just our choices in this world may seem to change, but that never changes, right? But it's what you believe. So that's why this section entitled The Justice of Heaven starts with, what can it be but arrogance to think your little errors cannot be undone by heaven's justice? And what could this mean except that your little errors are sins and not mistakes. Your little errors are forever uncorrectable. And your little errors are to be met with vengeance, not with justice. So then it says, are you willing to be released from the effects of sin? And, and Jesus defines sin in A Course in Miracles as lack of love. Now, what we know from our studies, from our life, from looking into our heart, is that there is no lack of love. But there's the appearance of lack of love. So sin is the appearance of lack of love. Are you willing to be released from all effects of the appearance of lack of love in your heart are you willing to be released from the effects of all appearances of lack of love in your heart you cannot answer this until you see all that the answer must entail and so what the answer entails if you're going to say yes it means foregoing all values of this world in favor of the peace of heaven that's how you give up the effects of sin. 
So this business kind of <clears throat> go back to what you say when you make a decision, then it's a decision. And you don't have to make it once, right? Is that what you're saying? And now uh, you made a decision when you're seven and and now you're not. And so somehow... I don't know. Somehow I feel conflict. It must be my ego, but <sighs> something. Well, that's it. We made the decision. I'm a sinner. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm bad. I'm wrong. I'm not good enough. I can't go home. God won't let me in. I have to pay for my sins. But that's all I'm saying. It's a moment, my moment decision because now is all there is. So, but I thought I heard you say maybe I misunderstood you that that if if you make a decision, well, so let me maybe, let me just okay. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. So go back to the end of Chapter 5, where it talks about, I must have made a wrong decision because I'm not at peace. I can give my decision and all the effects of it to the Holy Spirit for healing. I can decide otherwise, and I'd like to decide otherwise because I'd like to be at peace. I don't have to feel guilty for my wrong decision. I can give it all to the Holy Spirit. I can decide again. I guess that's right now. I'm not at peace. So making the decision to give up valuing this world in order to have peace, laying all attachments on the altar. I need do nothing. I can live in the holy instant. All my needs will be met in the holy instant. It's really the things that we value of this world are the ways in which we identify ourselves. Just think of a lot of the things that you value in this world. Aren't they very closely related to your identification? Or to just having pleasure? But if we value the things that are not of this world, like peace, 
love, joy, freedom. Place those place our value in those things. Think of how you might feel that you're experiencing what Jesus is saying are the effects of sin. The effects of our wrong decisions. The effects of withholding love, blocking love. Instead of trying to figure out how to fix those things, overcome those things, resolve those things, just give it all to the Holy Spirit. Anybody interested in sharing? Okay. Um, I will. Hey, Lauren. Uh, It is... comes to me, it has come to me that I have been trying to, I I have been giving almost everything to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I've been, I'm keeping, I'm making an exception and, uh, that exception is what is blocking the peace that I seek. I have made everything, I have made the peace of God more important to me. I decided long ago to, that that was more important to me than anything else. But then I found an exception to that. Hmm. That I am experiencing a real challenge with giving that, giving the giving my attachment to to the outcome. Giving, giving my, giving the idea that I have some control over the outcome. But as soon as I let that enter my awareness, that the peace is the peace is gone. That that, that my awareness of the peace is just completely, almost completely blocked. 
So I can uh, uh, this this morning I I made the decision to to absolutely surrender it to, to surrender it all without any exceptions. And I immediately was at peace. Mm. Immediately. But then I had to, then I had to go in and do something that, that brought the whole problem back into my awareness. I, and yet it was it was different. It wasn't mm. it wasn't the problem was no longer okay, it wasn't taking precedence. It it wasn't I wasn't making it, I was no longer making it more important. It was mm -hmm. still there, but I wasn't making it more important. It's still hard to get the balance. Mm -hmm. It is a very delicate balance. Mm-hmm. But my trust is is restored. It's it was never really gone. Mm-hmm. I have called upon the company of heaven and I feel surrounded and enfolded and lifted up. I've taken Jesus' hand. And I know that all is well. I know that. In your experience, there's the opportunity and the challenge to be really present in the now moment, which is where the peace is. And yeah. to not not go to what if what if what if yeah i that that's 
That's it. That's it exactly for me. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't go even. Not even a minute into the future. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very, very grateful. Mm-hmm. How is Rick today? Well, he's he's better. He's had hiccups for the last two days, mm. almost the entire time. Mm. And I think it's, it's very taxing uh, for him and for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I have the medication for it, but it doesn't seem to do anything. He's going into the hospital tomorrow for some more tests. Mm-hmm. He's now trying to cancel those appointments, but I have to try to give him some courage. We can support you with that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Praying for you and Rick, invoking the company of heaven, the violet flame, doing Ho'oponopono, knowing the truth, invoking the healing ray, Knowing that you have everything you need. Going to the special principles of miracle workers on page 28 in chapter 2, where we left off. Number five of the special principles is the level adjustment power of the miracle induces the right perception for healing. The level adjustment power of the miracle. So, working the the miracle, 
we're working at the level of the mind. Miracles happen in our mind. And so the power of the miracle in adjusting where we're doing our work by working at the level of the mind, it induces the right perception for healing. Remember, pain is a wrong perspective. So when our perspective changes, our perception changes. Remember, too, that perception, projection makes perception. What is projection but our belief? So the level adjustment power of the miracle induces the right perception for us to have healing. Until this has occurred, healing cannot be understood. It can't be comprehended until we've had an experience of the level adjustment power of the miracle. Until we've had some healing, we can't really understand how this could possibly be so. He says, forgiveness is an empty gesture unless it entails correction. So remember when we say, oh, I forgive myself, I forgive them for my debts and my trespasses. But unless we've released the judgment, which is the correction, it's just an empty gesture. Forgiveness is an empty gesture unless it entails correction of our judgments and opinions, our belief system. Without this correction, forgiveness is essentially judgmental, still judgmental, rather than healing. So the miracle-minded understand healing because we're willing to truly forgive. Number six of the special principles of the miracle worker is miracle-minded forgiveness is only correction. And we know that in Masterful Living, that miracle-minded forgiveness is only correction, that it's the release of the meaning we've made of it. That's what forgiveness is. So forgiveness has no element of judgment at all. The statement, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, in no way evaluates what they do. But isn't that the interpretation that we've had of it, that when Jesus says, forgive them, they know not what they do, that there's an evaluative aspect to it, like thinking what they're doing is bad and wrong, and they just don't know it. But that's not what Jesus meant. He says, it's an appeal. They know not what they do. It's an appeal to God to heal their minds. There's no reference to the outcome of the error. That does not matter. What matters is that the minds are healed. 
the error, the outcome of the error does not matter. Number seven of the special miracle principles is the injunction be of one mind is the statement for revelation readiness. He says, my request, do this in remembrance of me, is the appeal for cooperation from miracle workers. The two statements are not in the same order of reality. So the two statements, be of one mind and do this in remembrance of me, are not in the same order of reality. Only the latter, do this in remembrance of me, involves an awareness of time, since to remember is to recall the past in the present. Time is under my direction, but timelessness belongs to God. In time, we exist for and with each other. In timelessness, we coexist with God. So understanding that time is under the direction of Jesus. Time is under the direction of Jesus, but timelessness belongs to God. So think of something where you have a time-based worry or concern. I better get this much money in the time allotted. I need more time for this. Oh, I don't want to deal with this for a long, long time. Think of something that bothers you where there's a connection to time. Now, take that and give the direction of time to Jesus. And say, Jesus, whatever time it takes, it's under your direction. I will have trust and faith that it is unfolding in the appearance of time perfectly. And I'm willing to have a miraculous healing now. I'd like to have a miraculous healing now. I am not interested in feeling stuck in time, trapped by time, limited by time. All of those thoughts and beliefs come to you. I'm not interested in them anymore. In time, we exist for and with each other. In timelessness, we coexist with God. Number eight, which is the last one. You can do much on behalf of your own healing and that of others if, in a situation calling for help, you think of it this way. I am here only to be truly helpful. I am here to represent him who sent me. 
I do not have to worry about what to say or what to do because he who sent me will direct me. I'm content to be wherever he wishes, knowing he goes there with me. I will be healed as I let him teach me to heal. In a situation calling for help, think of it this way. I am here only to be truly helpful. Hmm. Any thoughts or questions or... Anything else anyone would like to share about these special principles of the miracle workers? I love what it says right before the special principles of miracle workers. It says, whenever you offer a miracle to another, you are shortening shortening the suffering of both of you. This corrects retroactively as well as progressively. So offering the miracle to another, it's really offering the release of the belief in sin, the belief in judgment. And I definitely saw that when my mother was so ill, was I gave up judging her. I really gave up judging her. And you know what else? She gave up judging herself. And I gave up judging myself. And we allowed ourselves to just meet in the field of love. And so me offering the miracle to my mother, she could offer it to me. And we were shortening shortening our suffering. And it sure did feel and does feel like it corrected retroactively as well as progressively. So being on the lookout for where we might not have noticed that we are afraid of healing, we're afraid of expansion, we're afraid of transformation because we think it's going to require us to give up something we're identified with. 
We get identified with our home, with our family, with our jobs. We become afraid to give up our identification. But that's where the peace is, in giving up the identification. So, you know, today is September 11th, which, being in England, it's not a big deal in England. Uh, I'm wondering, does anybody have stuff that comes up on September 11th? My goddaughter was born on September 11th, 10 years ago. So now September 11th means that to me. It means my goddaughter's birthday. Jennifer, I, I uh, don't have anything, but I did hear my husband say just yesterday, oh, there's something else likely going to happen on 9-11, you know, maybe not today or maybe next year, but just there's the fear that I guess it would be repeated. Hmm. Hmm. Is that something other people are saying? Hmm. I'm not sure. Hmm. Hmm. It is interesting. Even before Lana spoke, I felt I just forgot. September eleventh, until you said it, and I I felt this huge dread. Like, but I I another part of whether. Part of, I don't know if it's part of me because they're not parts, right? But another sense I have is that actually it was a great healing moment. But yet, I mean, I wouldn't say that in the world. But um, so it's interesting. I'm interested in shifting 
shifting that feeling of dread to knowing that it's all for the highest and best. And I guess in, in the world, it's really challenging. It's like how, it's, it, is a, it seems like a conflict, right? Mm. People want to say like, oh, it's not living this is a terrible experience, whatever. All this dread seems to come up in their emotional field and in their words and their thoughts and everything, right? So I'm really interested in shifting that. Uh, I, I don't know if I do that for them, but I can do it for myself. So I'm really interested in that. Do you have any words to that? <laughs> hmm. Well, say a bit more about what, what your thoughts are. How would you answer that? I guess what comes to me is that I don't need to shift it because it was never true, but yet um, I get this sense from people, and so I'm believing that is real. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, does that seem, yeah. So if you go from all beliefs are false, and what is mm-hmm. true is true for everyone all the time. Mm-hmm. Then what? Mm-hmm. Then what comes to me is then I have compassion. For myself, that mm-hmm. thinks that it's theirs, that they're thinking it, and that they're feeling it, that's actually something within myself to be cleared, and I have compassion for that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And that's the forgiveness. Mm hmm. It is so challenging to us at times to really recognize nothing real can be threatened. And many of us go through experiences where It feels like there's a loss or the potential of a loss. It feels very, very threatening. And there doesn't have to be any kind of actual loss at all. It can just be the fear of loss coming up for healing, that we can move into that place of nothing real can be threatened. Just not even possible. 
it's interesting. It's maybe a shift, but in that moment you asked me, it was really clear when I answered. It felt really clear to me. And I don't know. I guess it comes to me often because my thought my, what I was going to say is often it's not as clear. And so I guess even that is a forgiveness opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And remember, if we don't judge it, there's nothing to forgive. Yeah, I'm really attached to my thinking. Well, I'm going to say a word of prayer for us, and I'm going to play a song. First, I'd just like to take a moment to talk about our schedule. So, next Sunday, we will have class at the same time. And then uh, we have, uh, and you have uh, your community call on Wednesday at the uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, then class on Sunday. And then we have a Venerables class on the 20th. And then our next class after that will be back I'll be back in the United States on the 28th, and we'll have class on that Wednesday. So you'll have a community call on Saturday the 24th. So these are in the calendar, the Google calendar, and on the announcements page. So you have them there. And... Yeah. So I'm going to say a prayer. It's good to be with all of you. So we take a breath. A breath of love and gratitude. So grateful and so thankful that we can let everything that's false fall away. We don't need to cling to it. So grateful and thankful to partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self for the purpose of relinquishing all labels, all false beliefs. We're letting all labels go. 
we're standing in the pure, pristine awareness of ourselves as the living embodiment of the Christ, unlimited, innocent, and free are we. We are grateful and thankful to claim this as our truth. It is the truth of all beings. We're holding it not just for ourselves, for everyone in Masterful Living, for everyone on the planet. What I know is that we are the love of God, eternal. We are real. And therefore, we cannot be threatened. We're giving up all attack thoughts, all thoughts that seem to aggravate us, irritate us, threaten us, and threaten our peace. We're deciding for peace. We're deciding to value that which is truly valuable. And I speak this word of prayer for Lawrence and for Rick, that that they have everything that they need, that they are indeed surrounded and enfolded by the company of heaven. We call upon the violet flame to soak and saturate, to penetrate and permeate every particle of life on this earth, every being, to fill our hearts, our minds, and our homes. We are grateful and thankful to relinquish all attachment to thoughts of pain, lack, and limitation. We are grateful and thankful to stand in an awareness of the truth and to be miracle workers. We are grateful and thankful that this is our true nature and we're allowing ourselves to live it, to be it. In gratitude, we truly do share the benefits with everyone. We claim wholeness. We claim freedom, liberation, spiritual liberation. We are grateful and thankful to know our own wholeness and the wholeness of all our loved ones, that we are one with God, and that is where our wholeness rests in the unity of all life. In gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And this week I'm playing the song Sacred Love by Daniel Neymad. You've heard it before. It's a beautiful song. I love you so much. God bless you. Be with you again next Sunday.
Say 